You did it from the get go, get go. Let's go. Look for magic, yeah. They not gonna get it from the get go, get go, get go. Don't let anybody steal your magic, yeah. But I got so much, y'all. You can have it, yeah. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Jasmine, and I'm here with my friends Reese and Matthew. And at the top, that was Solange Knowles and Kelly Rowland with an interlude, I Got So Much Magic, You Can Have It, from the album A Seat at the Table. How are you two doing? Pretty good. Not too bad for a Saturday. Uh, yeah, I got the weather alert that there's going to be some snow flurries uh, coming today, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, really? Yeah, it came in, so I'm. that sounds very exciting. <laughs> yeah, well, did it snow by you, Reese? Because I know there was some weird stuff in California. Yeah, not cold. Southern California, but it's definitely been um, like a tropical rainstorm here for the past like four days it's like it's flooding all over LA and in mm. some parts of the mountains a little no- northern than me they've gotten snow okay yeah, yeah because there was like a blizzard warning right for southern California I, I, yeah. I was seeing it online yesterday yeah Thursday morning it was hailing when I was on my way to work I was like um oh <laughs> hail going on hail in LA yeah, it was... Oh, man. This is yeah. it's all feeling very Old Testament these days. Yeah. I know. I was like, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's get it. Got the plague <laughs> stuff falling from the sky. Everyone get your go bags ready. Yeah, I saw something about... Uh, it was like, what's the mystery dust? It was like mystery dust floating around in Maryland and parts of, like, I think, West Virginia or Virginia. I don't know. Get ready, y'all. Get Get ready. The mystery dust might be the toxins in the sky coming from Ohio. Stay ready, so you don't have to get ready. Um, but we're still here. At we're still here as of today. We're recording on Saturday, February the twenty fifth. You're listening to this for the first time on Sunday, February the twenty sixth, last weekend of Black History Month, uh, and we do have some relevant stories about that for you this week, as well as music. Um, So for our local news story, uh, Matthew will be talking about um, an unfortunate hate crime in New York City. There was a burning of a pride flag in Manhattan. For national news, Reese will be talking about um, Governor Ron DeSantis's plans to try to censor the teaching of Black history um, in Florida schools and universities. For world news, um, a surprising new study shows that cattle is contributing more to Amazon forest deforestation in Colombia um, than was previously thought. And we'll also have some good news related to what's happening in Florida around education. Uh, so, So to start us off, we'll have Matthew with the local news story. Hello, everybody. Um, Today's article is going to be coming from Zem.us. The title is Woman Arrested for Burning Pride Flag Outside a Manhattan Restaurant. 
this is written by James Factora, uh, and it was published February 24th, uh, 2023. A woman has been arrested after allegedly lighting a pride flag on fire outside a Manhattan restaurant. 30-year-old Angelina Kondo was arrested Tuesday on charges of arson, criminal mischief, and reckless endangerment, each of them as a hate each of them as hate crimes, according to ABC7. The arrest took place one day after a pride flag printed with the phrase Make America Gay Again was lit on fire outside Little Prince, a French restaurant in Soho. Surveillance footage posted by posted to Twitter by New York City Council member Eric Botcher shows a woman getting out of a white SUV, setting fire to the flag, and driving off. Apartments above the restaurant were t- temporarily evacuated. While no one was injured in the incident, the fire did lead to cracked windows and external damage, according to ABC7. The following morning, Bodger hung a new flag outside Little Prince. Uh, I want to note that this flag is five times the size of the original flag. For the person who did this, their plan has backfired, and backfired badly, Bodger said. On Wednesday, during court proceedings, Kondo was accused of several other acts of vandalism, including writing Jesus, JNA, and suck dick in a subway station and writing Jesus is king on two NYPD cars, according to the New York Post. Uh, she had previously been charged in January for obstructing as well as for throwing multiple objects at the person. Earlier in February, she was charged for allegedly threatening employees of a pizza shop with a knife. This is only the latest attack on the LGBTQ plus community in New York City. In December last year, Botcher himself was subject to harassment and vandalization. After posting a video of himself at a protest outside of Drag Queen Story Hour in Chelsea, intending to show the face of hate, protesters later banged on the door of his office and vandalized the hallway, and even went so far as to write threatening messages in chalk outside his apartment building, including Eric Bok- Boker, um, which is misspelled, uh, is a pedo child groomer. Uh, and that is the end of the article. Um, I chose the shorter version of this one. It's been going around for a little bit. Um, and there are a few things, but I think the articles that you two are going to be discussing, it all kind of is linked together, um, where it is very much a, an attack on minorities and minority groups overall. Um, and really how it's attacking the symbols of these groups um, in whatever context they can, uh, trying to eradicate any symbols of others. Uh, And it is very unfortunate, but these attacks keep happening um, with more frequency as we're going forward. Um, I was going to say for one, like you're absolutely right. Like I don't want to give it more publicity. Well, by the time this airs, it will be over, but on, there was apparently some, um, far right extremist group that was calling for people to attack, uh, like to do like anti-Semitic attacks on Saturday, like the day that we're recording this. So I know that there's a lot of um, Jewish communities on high alert. Um, there was, you know, people protesting like the drag queen story hours and things and that becoming increasingly aggressive and violent. And a lot of these like it's like they feed off of each other. It's like they see one and then it hypes up the next person and it is, you know, escalating. But I, I was, I wanted you to repeat, like how many things has the, the person who burned this flag, how many other things has she done? It sounded uh, kind of wild. She had previously been charged in January for obstructing the breathing of another person, as well as for throwing multiple objects at the person, 
Earlier in February, she was charged for allegedly threatening employees in the pizza shop with a knife. I mean, there, I think there is some nuance where it may not have been an attack at specifically like the queer community. Uh, this person has this kind of has some mental instability in there, but it still feels very much like like I I think it's a hard thing to discuss. And even the city council member saying this flag is five times bigger you're not getting to the root of the problem by simply just rehanging a larger flag. Like, what are you doing to address uh, some kind of crime reform, some criminal reform, mental health awareness uh, for someone who might actually need some other sort of attention uh, because they are clearly violent and some other mediation needs to be taken uh, or be taken here. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. It feels like uh, very similar to some other stories we've covered on the show, just like the rise in hate crimes in general and the rise of mental health issues. Um, and last week we were talking about, you know, a story where someone had repeated offenses of of doing things to kind of show us that something's wrong here. And things start to accumulate to eventually they end up um, taking out these things on people and really murdering people and hurting people. And you can see the track record building. You can see, um, you know, obviously within their community or the community at large, what is really being done to kind of track these cases and either provide help or, you know, some kind of justice for people who are continuing to be harmed. Yeah. And like, it also is something where like, it can also be both. Like there are people that do have, you know, some kind of mental health issue or like they're going through a crisis, but also, the rhetoric and things about like hating certain groups like that still comes from somewhere and it would still like have an impact on who they choose to target or the things that they choose to do. So I don't, I don't know, like if, if it's not confirmed that this person is, you know, was going through some type of crisis at the time, like, I'm not sure that we can like say that for sure. Like, I'm not saying it's not possible. Yeah. But like obstructing someone's breathing, like, yeah, like I wouldn't put it past it. And it's like, there are um, a lot of these extreme right wing people that want us to live in fear. It's like, they know that there's people out there that are kind of unstable or they are like on the edge of doing something and they just kind of need to be pushed in some kind of direction and they'll run with it. So they deliberately stoke that type of rhetoric. And then when you have people that act on it, they can say, well, they were mentally ill. And I think that's very deliberate that they do that. Yeah, that's a good dot to connect because like in all these documentaries about QAnon, uh, like these kind of very like white supremacist incel groups, it's uh, very much has like the fuse has been lit for these people and it's been a Proved at a presidential level so and now these people who maybe were on the fringes are really really now at the forefront um and they keep getting away with it and then you also have the issue of the people who are supposed to be quote-unquote protecting the citizenry at large uh are part of the problem too like the cops are the ones burning these things down the cops are the ones protecting the uh rioters at the drag story hour at the protesters at the drag story hour um these are the the cops are the ones who 
are the people doing these things as well. So we're in a very tough place right now. And it's, it feels very scary at times. Um, I've considered carrying like some sort of protection on me because you don't know what you're encountering these days and you really have to be ready um, and be aware uh, and pay attention to your surroundings. Yeah, thinking about protecting yourself um, on the daily is, you know, I think that's wise. I've definitely had moments that I can remember feeling like I needed to do it more than than not. And I think we're in a place now where it's obvious that um, people don't care anymore. People are just really outlandish with the way that they carry out things. And unfortunately, anybody can be attacked for any reason whatsoever, you know, especially when there is rhetoric that's being withheld or shared that is fueling people's hate every day, which connects to the stories we're going to be talking about later in the show. But definitely I can understand the need for protection and to feel that way, um, especially in the cities that we live in. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And like there is strength in numbers. Um, So, you know, I think we don't know what this person's motives were, but, you know, if we assume that they were to be homophobic or like what we're seeing as with anti-Semitic hate crimes or Islamophobic ones, racist ones, like whatever they might be, their goal is to make people feel afraid and to make them feel like helpless. And it is encouraging that, you know, even though you have these disturbing people that will show up, for example, at the story hours, it means something that it's oftentimes like the same band of people that's going around to them around the city, but then the community will come out in much greater numbers so that the event can keep going. So I think, you know, it's important to keep that in mind that there's more people who don't want to live like that and who do want to have a more affirming, you know, peaceful environment and kind of like find your people so that you don't get too caught up in feeling like the other side is winning. Because I think, you know, they're lashing out like this because they don't really have the numbers. That's my belief. And they're trying to try to drag other people in the majority and force them to go along with what they're thinking when, you know, the average person isn't out here really that riled up and angry about some of these issues. So, yeah. Um, And I criticize like the council member pretty harshly. I mean, they're a politician, they should be, Uh, but like, it's still good. Even as he's like gone under some personal attacks, he's still kind of out there pushing for this and still being an advocate uh, and being part of the community. Uh, And it's good, like in these sorts of situations, really kind of pushing back and not cowering from it um, is a good thing to see. Um, And it's helpful to the community. Um, If you want to be a leader, you got to be a leader for everyone, especially in these times. Yeah, well said. And we got to be there for each other more than ever now. Um, So with that, we're going into our first musical break. Uh, You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And Reese, do you want to introduce the first song? Yes, absolutely. Um, The first song is by a amazing artist, um, definitely an icon, and more importantly, a truth slayer um, in hip hop and also um, just in his life. This is Changes by Tupac Shakur. We'll be right back. 
Come on, come on. I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, it's life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse. I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a need, bro. Pull a trigger, kill a nigga, he's a heat, bro. Get it back to the kids who the hell cares. One less hungry mouth on the welfare. First ship him, don't let him deal with brothers. Give him guns, step back, watch them kill each other. It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said. Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead. I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with each other. We gotta start making changes. Learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers. And that's how I was supposed to be. How can the devil take a brother if he's close to me? Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids with things changed. That's the way it is. Come on. Come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free bk no spaces no punctuation our instagram account is at objection to the rule again no spaces no punctuation marks welcome back to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn and now we have reese with a national news story All right. This story comes from an article on Politico.com. And also there's a little piece from Time that I'll read towards the end, just uh, some extra information. Um, The article is from January 24th. And the author of this article is Andrew Atterbury. The title is DeSantis Defends Banning African-American Studies Course as Black Leaders Call for Action. Black officials in Florida are seeking to overturn the administration's determination that the class significantly lacks educational value. Governor Ron DeSantos on Monday stood by Florida's decision to reject students' access to an AP course of African-American studies as outrage amounts surrounding the move, particularly among Black leaders. The Republican governor said that he supports banning the course being offered to some high school students because its lessons delve too far into political agendas broaching topics such as queer studies and abolishing prisons. Black officials in the state, from Democratic lawmakers to faith leaders, however, are seeking to overturn the DeSantis administration's determination that the class lacks significant educational value. Yet during a press conference on Monday, DeSantis showed no signs of reversing the decision to bar the course in Florida. The College Board, the organization responsible for administering standardized tests like the SATs, has spent a decade developing the African-American Studies AP course and is offering it to more than 600 schools in the country as a pilot program. In Florida's latest crackdown on how race is taught in school, state education officials earlier this month rejected that African-American Studies course from being implemented. The move drew swift backlash in the state and beyond, racking up criticism from academics, advocacy groups, and liberal policymakers, including the Biden administration, which on Friday said that blocking the course would be incomprehensible. 
A coalition of black faith leaders are now pushing to meet with the DeSantis administration over its decision to block students from taking the course and is planning a march on the Capitol in Tallahassee next month. They join in chorus of black state lawmakers who have denounced the move by the Florida Department of Education, claiming it is an attempt to whitewash history. Florida's move to block the course follows a concerted effort by state Republicans to restrict how race is taught in local classrooms. Under DeSantis, the state education department has rejected math books over impermissible content, including teachers on critical race theory, something that Florida banned in education, along with the 1619 Project, through official action by its Board of Education. The state took issue with several pieces of the College Board's syllabus, such as parts on Black queer studies, advocacy for reparations, activism, and intersectionality, which is a piece of critical race theory, according to the state's education department. Yet the agency's defense had little to stem the criticism. Vice President Kamala Harris who visited Tallahassee on Sunday to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, criticized extremist so-called leaders who block history classes and prevent teachers from discussing who they are and who they love. In reference to a state's controversial law banning educators from leading classroom discussions on sexual orientation or gender identity for students in kindergarten through the third grade. Florida's GOP controlled state house in 2022, passed legislation to expand state anti-discrimination laws and prohibit schools and companies from leveling guilt or blame to students and employees based on race or sex. Dubbed the Stay Woke Act by DeSantis, it created new protections for students and workers, including that a person should not be instructed to feel guilt, anguish, or any form of psychological distress due to their race, color, sex, or national origin. Florida law requires public schools to teach students about the history of African-Americans, including the enslavement experience, and steer them to develop an understanding of the ramifications of prejudice, justice, and stereotyping on individual freedoms. But the College Board lessons, according to DeSantis, are pushing an agenda to the students. So I'm going to finish with that article. The one in time gives you a little bit of feedback from kind of the other side of this and offers an interesting note about how Black history began in Florida. So I would advise everybody to take a look at that article on time. Um, and this is from the Time article. There's an irony in Florida's blocking an in-depth Black history class from being offered in its school, given it is the state where Black history began in America. In 1513, Juan Garrido, a free conquistador from the Kingdom of Con Congo, became the first known African to arrive to North America when he explored what, what is now Florida via the Spanish expedition. Garrido's story is in the frame, official framework for African-American studies. I'd like to hear you, your thoughts. Um, I have one quote that I'll end this with that comes from a uh, Harvard professor of African-American studies. Her name is Evelyn Brooks uh, Higginbottom and she's a professor of history and African-American studies at Harvard. She had to say this in the, her, her reaction in the article. Those narratives that they are slinging out there aren't in the curriculum itself. What they see is buzzwords. They are picking on buzzwords that they know will inflame the hearts of some of their American constituency. Communism was a buzzword in the 1950s against interracial marriage. If you were interracially married in the South, you became a communist. If people have political reasons for not wanting to see this course, then no matter what arguments you give them, it won't matter. So at this point, what I'm just interested in is stating that this course is what we will do, and it's exciting. 
many of the students who choose to take this course have selected this amongst um, other things that they can study to advance their knowledge. What are your thoughts? I've been reading a lot about how it's like the media failing to kind of just call it what it is, but like he is just a white supremacist, um, a racist who is just trying to eradicate uh, any sense of non-discrimination policies. Um, our public schools are already like crumbling. The infrastructure is just horrible. Um, and depending on where it is in the country, uh, in the state, it's worse for others, of course, depending on your status, uh, your social uh, economic status. Um, and he's just helping kind of chip away at that infrastructure. Uh, and it feels like it's just the attack on education to make it private and get someone else wealthy and further kind of segregate us again. Uh, and it's very exhausting uh, to keep seeing these attacks happen and everyone failing, well, not everyone, but a lot of our politicians, the media failing to just call it for what it is and really challenge what this is. Um, it's white supremacist ideology and he's just making it uh, the policy of the state. And it's really sad what's happening in Florida. A lot of people are getting hurt um, and yeah, not great. Yeah, and like it's definitely, I think sometimes people in other parts of the country who don't agree with what he's doing can become a little too complacent because they think that it wouldn't happen where they live. And that's not the case, you know, like these people have like a playbook for what they intend to do nationally and like different states will piggyback off of one another. And I think you made a good um, point about journalists, like certain groups, like not calling things out for what they are. Like there was a article recently that came out and it was about a book on a children's book about Roberto Clemente um, being removed from a library or like the school librarian removing it for fear of getting in trouble for having it because clear, you know, the back of the little blurb mentioned something about how like he was a hero not just in the sport, but he was a humanitarian. He also had to battle racism. I, I wish I could find the article because it was good. It was a rare example of journalists actually pressed DeSantis about this. And they, they were like, hey, like, why would something like this re be removed? And he was stuttering and uh, he didn't have anything to say. And they actually stuck to what they were saying that, you know, what is your reasoning? Like, why would this be an issue? what what actually are the rules that you're trying to put into place instead of just being like a stenographer for these people you have to challenge them and apparently from what i'm able to see now the book was put back on the show like you know it's a small victory but it's like look you have to push back against these things wherever you see them because it's just gonna grow and every time you allow it to slide with one little thing or you don't think it's a big deal or whatever it just emboldens them to go after another thing and expand like their grip absolutely and like you know history is repeating itself you know anytime you try to uh, eliminate access to information for people with suppression no matter how you look at it this is definitely highlighting structural racism and the way that um these agendas get passed you know it's funny that they're claiming that teaching uh, critical race theory is a uh, showing an agenda, 
um, creating sides. No, it's not. It's creating bookends. It's getting giving the other half of the story, which these students have learned up until they are in a senior status, an upperclassman. This is an AP course, meaning you take this by selection. It's not like it is um, even a part of this intro, the intro, in, intricacies of public education. So these students have selected to uh, move forward with this course, depending on where they want to go next in their careers or their history or whatever reason they're asking for this information. But I just really think it's, um, you know, the only good thing I can see from this is that it's pushing to the front how these racist agendas move through our society. Uh, the fact that this course is a pilot for 60 schools throughout the nation, you don't know where this pilot would have been. Um, and so pushing back is, you know, definitely important uh, for people and scholars and anybody who believes in the freedom of knowledge and education for anyone. Yeah, and they really got to stop letting them get away with just using the blanket term woke. Um, right. You really got to make them name what they're wanting to actually ban and who they're wanting to ban. And they just don't do it. So, yeah, I, I would love to see that. I'm uh, If you find that article, Jasmine, I'd love to see it because it is rare. And it's, they really start using this strange defense of like, oh, well, he's like a presidential, going to be a presidential candidate. Like we need to like remain on his inside like team or be able to have access. It's like, fuck off and do your job. Stop wanting, playing these like, Maggie Haberman games of political intrigue and shit and like report what he's doing and how it's affecting his constituency. I did find the article. So it was in the nation and the title is Ron DeSantis is lying about why bookshelves in Florida classrooms are empty. The Florida governor claims that it's not his legislation that is limiting what books students can read but local parents beg to differ by Joan Walsh. And that article was mostly focusing on parents who were waking up and standing up against what he was doing. Like, this is ridiculous. These plans, like, it's it's super dystopian. And like Reese was saying, it is history repeating itself. Like, this is nothing new. It's just intensifying. And I, I agree with what you said, too, about using the term woke as a pejorative. You know, that has been a word like used within the black community for a very long time to mean to be aware of like systems at play that are against you, as it often happens with certain terms that we use with each other. You know, white people start overusing it and turn it into something ugly or try to turn it into something ugly to the point where it's basically used as like a slur, which is what we're seeing happening in Florida right now with this. It's terrible. And like people need to like stand up and actually take action against it because he's not going to stop. He is just really, really scary. Um, I don't I mean, this is the weird kind of um, optimism I have for him running uh, on the Republican ticket is that he's short and squatty uh, and famously short politicians don't get elected, uh, especially to be president because. I mean, we do live in a patriarchal society, so they see kind of short, squatty men as probably more effeminate and not strong leaders. So that goes against him. I don't know, man. After 45, it could be a rock with some (laughs) lipstick on. Which is basically what we get. It would be a crystal. A crystal. Yeah, it could be anything. (laughs) And it could just, you know, someone could be like, 
I just hate the black people. And like people will vote for that. Landslide. We don't even know. I hope yeah. he, you know what? I'm not even going to say, because if I speak, I'm in big trouble. I'm not even going to say what I <laughs> Well, we must all combat this this type of rhetoric and this type of uh, power control, controlling oppression is right on our faces um, the best we can within our interpersonal circles. That means sharing um, important literature with people, you know, young people within your school board. See what's going on at your kid's school. What are the options and opportunities they have? Um, just, you know, be mindful of the fact that this agenda is being pushed on a, on a grand scale. It's not even hidden at all. It's not. And like these people, like a lot of these groups, like Moms for Liberty and all this other crap, they go around to places where they don't even live. They don't have not nary a child in the district, but they're going around like promoting this agenda, being very loud and obnoxious, and they get outsized attention and they draw more support to their cause. So yeah, it is definitely like it should be a wake up call to you know, just regular people like to show up to the PTA, like know what's happening at your local library. Like don't just assume everything is okay. Cause that is what gives a lot of people the power is regular people that kind of assume that everything's fine or like they don't, they're not riled up about something. So they don't really see the point, but it's needed yeah. now more than ever. And I think like, especially those people, they come from such a, um unethical unlike sound place that they don't actually believe in these things from like hey it's not a moral compass and if you can kind of organize people who are of the community and people who are genuinely invested in helping like um marginalized communities and people being attacked and like the trans community show up because if you show up with that belief like that is a very strong powerful thing to do um, and people really need to see that visibility right now. Um, a lot of communities need to see you show up um, and be on the front lines because that's all we got to do. This is where we are. Uh, yeah, to show up, um, be as loud as you can and help where you can. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next musical break, we have Little Ghetto Boy by Donny Hathaway. We'll be right back. Little ghetto boy Playing in the ghetto street What you gonna do when you grow up And have to face responsibility Your young life you've seen such a misery and 
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next is me, myself, Jasmine, with the World News Story. Uh, This information comes from The Guardian. Uh, The article's title is Cattle, Not Coca, Drive Deforestation of the Amazon in Colombia. It was written by Luke Taylor on February the 19th of this year. Cattle ranching, not cocaine, has driven the destruction of the Colombian Amazon over the last four decades, a new study has found. Successive recent governments have used environmental concerns to justify ramping up their war on the green shrub, but the research shows that in 2018, the amount of forest cleared to cultivate coca, the base ingredient of cocaine, was only one sixtieth of that used for cattle. That's one over six zero. The study's findings vindicate conservation experts who have long argued that Colombia's strategy to conserve the Amazon, often centered on combating coca production, has been misplaced. We want to finally eradicate this narrative that coca is the driver of deforestation said Paulo Murillo Sandoval at the University of Tolima, who led the study. Deforestation spiked the gorillas, and that's gorillas as in um, like armed fighters, of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or the FARC, signed a landmark peace agreement with the government in 2016 and laid down their weapons. As the rebels came out of the jungle, land grabbers took advantage, clearing trees with chainsaws and burning vast areas. Deforestation reached a record high of 219,973 hectares, or 543,565 acres, in 2017, up 23% from the previous year. Then-President Ivan Duque used the environmental destruction caused by coca cultivation to justify stepping up military action against coca farmers. Prohibited from spraying coca crops with glyphosate after the chemical was banned in 2015 for health reasons, the Duque government sent in choppers and armed troops into the Amazon rainforest, sometimes into deadly confrontation with coca farmers. Yet, while cattle ranches cleared more than 3 million hectares or 7.4 million acres of Amazon rainforest in 2018, coca's impact was negligible. Using a deep learning algorithm to differentiate between land use for coca and cattle, Murillo and his colleagues were for the first time able to distinguish between the activities on a mass scale from 1985 to 2019. The study also adds to evidence that despite lives being sacrificed and billions of dollars being spent, Colombia's quote-unquote war on drugs has failed to halt coca production, and in some cases it may have made it even worse.
When farmers have their crops eradicated, they simply establish new plots, often just a few kilometers deeper into the forest canopy, Murillo said. As the government has engaged in a game of whack-a-mole with coca farmers, the real driver of deforestation, cattle farming, has been allowed to swallow up vast swaths of land, the authors argue. To get their deeds recognized, landowners must demonstrate that 75% of their plots are productive, and it is far easier for farmers to use cows than crops, said Carlos Divia, a forest engineer at Bogotá's Habariana University, who was not involved in the study. Ranching is the easiest way to show you're using land as it's unregulated. You could have 100 hectares of land and just throw 10 cows in there, whereas for potatoes or corn, only a hectare would require a year of great work, Divya said. Landless farmers often clear a few hectares of rainforest and sell them illegally to members of criminal organizations who then join up multiple small lots, transforming them into vast swaths of lifeless, arid pasture. Colombian President Gustavo Petro, who took office in August last year, is proposing a U-turn on Colombia's failed anti-narcotic strategy. Petro, a former member of the defunct M-19 rebel group, has turned the focus away from forced coca eradication and is buying up millions of hectares of land to give to farmers. Reducing drug use does not require wars. It needs us all to build a better society, Petro told the UN General Assembly in September of last year. So yeah, it was a bit of a long one, but I thought that this story was very interesting and something that would typically fly under the radar, you know, because I definitely think you know, you can attach very negative feelings to certain things like drugs and stuff like that and draw a lot of attention towards it. And it can kind of stop people from thinking about um, other causes of some of these issues or like thinking bigger picture. I mean, I don't know if there are any other uses of the coca or if it's just the basis of uh, narcotic making. But and the thing that I also thought of when you were reading this, Jonathan, was we've heard of the climate crisis getting worse due to farming here in like the United States because of like the methane production from cows. So we do have like there is already science that was kind of probably peaking interest has been peaking interest in scientists and stuff saying like maybe we should reconsider what farming is. But it is shocking to see kind of a very clear picture of it's the farming that's destroying the land. Um, and they, I mean, it's always easy to find that the straw man, the boogeyman in the story and go after them rather than actually looking at the objective story and finding an objective answer to what might actually be happening. Yeah, I think this is interesting as well. Like just thinking about, um, you know, the realities of what we think we know about stuff and, and you know, in the world and, and you know, how Colombia is projected as well as like some of the truth. Um, just about the way people abuse land and the way people, you know, utilize land and resources for their own personal gain. Um, Definitely need to hear more stories about things like this. I think they go under the radar for things that it's always looking for a blame game and stuff like this, but it is interesting, especially people who are a part of the, you know, plant-based life living 
these are some of the things that will come up and information about that. I've been doing a lot of research on that, but definitely good to hear um, something different than what you're used to. Yeah, and I'm not at all going to ever try to like minimize the reality that, you know, the drug trade and, you know, cartels and all of that, like they do cause an incredible amount of violence and suffering, um, whether it's criminal organizations like threatening people, forcing them to grow this plant and stuff like this, or the effects of, you know, when people are addicted and things that happen after that. So it's definitely a problem, but I think it's a lot easier to focus on that and that alone and to garner a lot of support to be anti that and people don't ask any questions. But then when it comes to something like cattle, it's, I think it's always projected as like this harmless farmers and like Matthew was saying, like we see that happening in the US where it's like, oh, farmers and people are thinking of like, old farmer john and his uh-huh. family and they're not thinking about like people that are like rich as hell yep that have like in some way like completely ruined like the landscape of, like the native animals and plants of that place just to flatten it so you have mad grass and like that is devastating like to the local ecosystem that's not harmless but it is kind of like a mind trick of like the language we use about certain issues and groups of people. It, it can be very deceptive. Yeah. And encourage people not to look, you know, not to actually discover and explore these issues um, anymore. That's why you have to be very careful about what you take in and what you believe. But also if these are issues you care about, you know, you have to do the foot traffic and, and, really just redefine some of the narratives that we know about places and things that were made for us to believe that way. Recently went to uh, Montreal for a a trip and um, all this is making me think of like farm to table eating and dining um, and a shift towards like conscious eating. It's like the idea of like veganism or like this like what is often thought of as quote unquote healthier eating habits or thinking. And I'm thinking like in regards to farming, like when someone's like, I'm vegan, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Like, are you doing it for ethical reasons? If that's the case, then where are you sourcing your produce from? Who are the people farming that? Are those immigrant workers? Are they paid a fair wage? Um, And all this also comes to like, just having lost touch with our food in many ways. Um, Yeah. Like and where it comes from. Yeah. Um, and like whenever I was eating like protein in Canada, I didn't like taste the difference. Like so much of our regular like meat here feels very processed. And I even come from like a dairy town um, in my home state. Um, but it just, it there is different relationships outside of the U.S. to food. Um, and I think that's always an important perspective to remember. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't see myself going to completely plant-based, but I do, stories like this definitely make me stop. It gives me pause to think about like, how much meat do you consume? Where do you get it from? Like, art, can you be more conscientious about who it is you're getting it from? Like every week I say, I'm going to finally go to like the farmer's market where at least it's something where like, you know that it's local or like you kind of you understand like the conditions where the things are being produced 
are more in line with like being sustainable and more humane as opposed to just the big business stuff because they clearly do not give a damn like it's driving climate change like in brazil that was a huge thing with that jackass bolsonaro who i hope he's on his way out but he was like very hardcore with like yeah cattle ranching should take precedence over like the indigenous people living in the forest still like he was very aggressive with that and you know there's a market so do you want to be in that market or do you want to be part of pushing back against it so it's definitely something to think about seriously Yeah, I, I definitely have been more mindful of things like that. You know, even small things you can do is just just practically even going to farmer's market weekly, like making it a part of your rotation just so that um, you're just being mindful of what's out there and having conversations with people who do that, you know, because it really does change your perspective of where you spend your money and what you consume. You know, really, I've just like for the past maybe three to six months, I've been just watching documentaries on um the plant-based movement, whether it's veganism, raw, whatever, and why people um, have been on this track historically. That's not information that you could just find. You know, you really have to kind of go through it and just decide yourself on how to make those shifts if you want to be that conscious. Um, because, you know, it definitely tells you how our society is right now with all of the health problems and other issues um, that are a part of our oppressive system. <laughs> all of these things are rooted connected look towards like indian food there are so many cultures who do veganism and vegetarian well i think we i often think here in the u.s like oh it's just gonna like a piece of lettuce but that's just not the reality there are people entire people who it's do. really not <laughs> yeah there's a world out there just look there are recipes you can get seasoned vegetables it can exist and shit, some people not even out here seasoning the meat. You got whatever you eat, you gotta <laughs> give it some flavor. Put some kosher salt on there, people. Some fresh cracked pepper, something. And it's another thing to think about too. It's cheaper to be plant based. It's better for everyone all around. Yeah, and we see we're not we're gonna go into the good news in a second, but even in the U.S., you're seeing all these horrific stories coming out. But it's not really news that you know there's children in some of these meat processing plants overnight, like just totally unacceptable conditions. And you know, is that something that you want to help support? Probably not. So you know, we can all do our part to be more mindful of you know what it is we're consuming and voting with our wallets in some way. Um, So for the good news story, this comes from ABC News. I won't read the whole thing for the sake of time, Uh, but the title is Florida Students Walk Out to Protest DeSantis Race Education Policies. They also protested state data collection of gender-affirming care in schools by Chiara Alfonseca. Um, and this this was from this past week, so they're talking about um, Thursday, February the 23rd. Hundreds of students across Florida walked out Thursday in protests against Governor Ron DeSantis and his policies concerning higher education. Students walked out of their classrooms at the University of South Florida, University of Florida, Florida State University, and more in opposition of his efforts. Some high school students also joined in on the statewide walkout. 
Students protesting DeSantis say they value their academic freedom and liken the efforts of his administration to censorship. We want to take these classes and for the state to come in and say, well, we might, want, we might not want to allow you to have that. At what point are college students going to be considered adults by the state of Florida? Jonathan Chavez, president of College Democrats at USF, told ABC News. He continued, we want to make our own decisions about our education, how we want to better ourselves. We think it's quite silly that the state would try to restrict that. DeSantis's offer, office declined ABC News's request for comment. Dream Defenders, a group of black and brown anti-racism activists, are hosting black history teach-ins amid the walkouts to combat the plethora of efforts from DeSantis to restrict race-related education. Ron DeSantis has been on a rampage. He's banning books and flags and classrooms everywhere. He's making sure our history isn't getting taught. He's getting rid of teachers, professors, and faculty that look like us and support us, said Nyla Summers, the co-executive director of the Dream Defenders, who publicly called for a statewide day of action, along with the newly formed Stand for Freedom, a coalition of student organizations spanning Florida's college campuses. He's made it harder to protest, harder to vote, and harder to live in Florida. DeSantis's administration is also under fire by demonstrators for reportedly requiring state schools to provide information about gender-affirming care they've provided for students. At our schools, we found that transgender students had stopped receiving those services, says Chavez. They don't know what that is going to be used for. They're scared that it might be used to restrict them further, and that's a very real and tangible outcome for a very simple request. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's whenever you see people resisting, like, I think that that's something to applaud and to, you know, just keep in mind that it's not like everyone is just laying down and taking this. Um, so it's definitely encouraging to see that, you know, these young people are taking this into their own hands, including developing programs outside of the school system um, to keep that tradition of teaching their own history alive. It's encouraging to see this. I think there have been a number of walkouts, especially like we're seeing walkouts for anti-racism kind of activism to bring awareness to mass shootings in schools. Students are walking out. It's safer to be out walking and protesting for your rights than sitting in a classroom at this point in the U.S. So good to see. And I'm glad to see that they're all kind of coming together for many marginalized communities that are being affected, especially in Florida, through race um, for the trans students who are being um, bullied. And they're the ones getting harmed by this. Uh, their education, their access to other people in diverse communities and thoughts is being restricted, and that's not good for anybody. So I'm glad they're trying to pass it along however they can. That's right. Young people have the power to really um, embrace the truth. And anytime you can see them uh, being empowered by people supporting them to speak up, you know, even when I was doing the research for my story today, there were students within the Florida district that was on camera saying that they didn't feel they were being indoctrinated. They didn't feel that they were uh, being swayed. Now they're, they're mindful enough. They're smart enough to know of what's happening. So empowering them to speak out against um, oppression of any kind is really, really, uh, is good. It's encouraging. They're listening. So definitely 
give them an opportunity and support them when they feel that way. Yeah, for sure. We got to lift as we climb. Um, and in that spirit, I wanted to shout out, um, there's a rapper named No Name who has a book club with many different chapters throughout the country uh, that focuses on um, Black history and like liberatory texts and everything. But I really, you know, I, I want to emphasize that like there's all these different ways that you can connect with others, that you can build community, that you can learn. Uh, outside of some of these official state structures. And we really have to keep that going as well. Um, like even if things don't seem to be under threat, like you always should have, you know, other ways that you're teaching about black history, queer history, like Latino his history, like whatever it may be. So good for them. Um, and for Black History Month, um, I came across this, but Beacon Broadside, they have uh, a thing currently happening. Download our free Black Liberation ebook bundle, um, and it's by a group. It's a few different ebooks uh, by a few different authors, um, and it's free. If anyone is looking to either pass along some uh, books or get some more reading done themselves, Beacon B E A C O N Broad, like Broadway side. Yes, Broadside B R O A D S I D E dot com. Okay, sure. Like, we'll definitely put the link up on our show page and on our Instagram. So, you guys, we did a show. I mean, for me, Black History is every day, every month, but the last Black History Month show of this year. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta cheer it on. Gotta cheer it on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Matthew, for, you know, giving us a, a relevant Black history tidbit there at the end. We appreciate you. Of course. Doing my best. All right. And thank you all for listening. This has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And to close us out, this is James Brown with Say It Loud. I'm Black and I'm proud. Hey, nice job. Have a good rest of your February, everybody. Bye. Bye. Yeah.